from across the globe, from the centre of aerospace, and now to you. Thank you for downloading the Aero Society podcast from the Royal Aeronautical Society. Well, uh, thank you very much. Uh, I, I wasn't quite sure how the introduction was going to go, but I, that's okay. It's just fine. Uh, Tim and I have shared an, a, a lot of beers, and uh, so I wasn't quite sure where it was going. But with that said, I'm going to talk about simulations versus animations, and I'll explain that difference because it is pretty significant. Um, I'll start with this. Many of you have seen this already. Sorry. This is not a simulation. This is clearly an animation. And it's entertaining. It's fun to watch. But nobody believes that it's for real. Uh, the, the real problem is when uh, things are presented that look real but really aren't. And that's a lot of what I'm going to talk about today. So, simulations versus animations. Simulation is the result of calculations that are based on the laws of physics. Uh, normally, often, the ones I deal with are starting off with Newton, F equals MA, and go from there. Uh, but they, they, they are all, if it's a simulation, it is based on something very physical, something that actually happens and can be justified. The uh, results of the simulation any simulation can be animated. That's not to say that all animations are um, just that, cartoons. In fact, that's exactly the opposite, that if you have a good simulation, you may portray it in a number of different ways, and animating it is a good way of doing that. Uh, anytime, anything, any physical process is analyzed, or sorry, is animated without a uh, physics background, it's a cartoon. It's just a picture and maybe fun to watch. Maybe it's entertaining, but I guarantee it won't be educational. But a, a well-produced visualization animation can be a powerful learning tool, but either way. It can be a powerful learning tool to help explain things that are real, but it can also mislead. And that's uh, an important distinction. So um, when should you use an animation or a visualization, as a lot of the animators like to call them, instead of uh, animator, animation, call them a visualization? One big reason is to help an expert explain his opinions, his or her opinions. It's a... Uh, a valuable tool to explain things, particularly if they're difficult to uh, conceptualize. Uh, to put life into plots, and engineers love plots, uh, but uh, you can create a visualization that is a lot more, uh, I'll say, informative to a lot of people. Uh, sometimes the, the objects we're dealing with are very complex mechanically, and they're... Uh, there, an animation can be used to help explain the operation of those 
pieces of equipment. Uh, you can peel away uh, layers and look at the part that is particularly relevant. So you, there's a lot of things you can do in an animation you can't do any other way, really. The, uh, to show things that are there but invisible. Uh, for example, wingtip vortices. The, uh, the, the flows out, off the wingtips of airplanes are typically invisible. Sometimes you'll see them if you're landing in a, on a foggy day or a humid day, you'll see them, but they don't last very long. But they exist forever. The, the visualization part of it do, doesn't uh, last very long, but the effect, the air rotating, is around for a long time. Well, you can show that in an animation uh, that is true to the physics. Um, people learn in different ways. Uh, some people learn by reading. Some learn by uh, being, you know, listening to someone. Others learn visually. Uh, others are very tactile. So an animation provides another means for someone to learn about a particular topic, and in this case, a, a judge and or jury. This is a, when an uh, event occurs, often the actual time that the event takes, how long that event takes place, can be very important. Now, if I just tell you five seconds, well, that doesn't seem like very long, but if you count it out, it takes quite a while. And in some circumstances, five seconds is an eternity. Uh, and so showing that, showing what the real time is, is very important. Uh, and sometimes how fast things change is very important as well, the rates of change. That's a, uh, um, it, it depends upon the circumstance, but it, that can be a very important aspect to a particular analysis. <clears throat> and when the jury expects it. Uh, the, the, we all have become very uh, electronic and have uh, expectations. We've seen movies that are all animated and they look darn real. Um, so having a, uh, a, a high quality animation is kind of an expectation. It certainly is in the US. That anytime there's a complex uh, I'll say high-value litigation, it's literally expected that there will be a high-quality animation. So, when should you use a simulation? Always, whenever you can. A simulation is uh, it's the truth. It is what d did happen if it's properly presented. So, I'm going to give you a number of examples here of uh, animations, some good, some bad, and uh, we'll go through them. This happens to be a, an old one. This has been around for uh, a dozen years or so, but it's a uh, an accident that occurred using. Uh, sorry, the accident involved a Nomad aircraft, which is a small twin-engine uh, commuter kind of airplane, holds about 15 people. Uh, <clears throat> this particular situation, the uh, airplane took off the uh, right propeller went to feather. So in other words, it was not producing any thrust anymore. The pilot elected to bring the power back on the other engine and lower the nose and land on the runway, and he did so successfully. 
the, uh, brought the airplane back, they checked it out, couldn't find anything wrong, so it was okay to fly again, according to maintenance. Um, the next day, the right propeller failed again, but this time the pilot continued the flight, a different pilot continued the flight and ultimately crashed to the right side of the runway. Uh, there was no radar data on board and uh, no data recording of any kind, sorry, no radar data or any on board. And uh, there was only so some photos of the accident scene and then the wreckage of the airplane. The, the trick here, not the trick, but the complication here is the first pilot, the pilot that uh, had the, air, the engine go to feather and then lowered the nose and landed, he was in the tower the next day. And the pilot of the accident airplane was very critical of the first pilot for continuing the takeoff because their procedure said if you're above this certain speed, you continue the takeoff. Uh, so he was very critical of that. And then during the accident flight, he tried to continue the takeoff. This is a scene of the, uh, the wreckage. This road here is parallel to the runway. There's some marks in the grass here. The airplane hit, this is a berm right alongside the road. It really hit into that, came across the road and uh, burned over here. Actually, there was one survivor. He was in the tail of the airplane and uh, survived that accident. So here's an animation presented by one of the experts uh, in this accident. Now, a lot of high-quality stuff here. Notice the, the skid marks on the runway. Notice the, the tire marks in this little turnaround area. So the, the quality of the animation is outstanding. Now let's just watch what happens here. Airplane's lining up, and that's all looking great. And then suddenly it jumps to, turns out, about 60 knots. And then it stays at 60 knots. And neither are correct. Uh, the airplane can't accelerate immediately to 60 knots, and it will accelerate throughout until it gets airborne, and then uh, will typically fly at a constant speed. Uh, we'll watch what happens here. The, they annotate where the right engine went to feather. The location is good, but the time is way off. So there's the liftoff, and notice the shadow on the, the, the uh, runway, the nice touch. Everything is looking really good, except for that initial speed jump. And then it gets uh, airborne a bit, and the right engine goes to feather. And watch how the airplane turns. That's not how airplanes turn. Now the, they, the other side claimed that the left engine failed, but then the airplane turns right. Now if you think about force balances, that doesn't sound right either. Notice it's flying kind of sideways, then turns and finally hits. Uh, so that was the animation, that, one of the animations that was presented by the other side. And here's another view of that. Now watch how the airplane turns in flight. I'll do that one again so you can watch it. The, the quality of the animation is terrific. I mean, down to the, the gr blades of grass. 
So the airplane is turning, but there's no reason for it to be turning. So that was a cartoon. There was the only thing that was realistic there was the location of the accident uh, and how the airplane actually ended up. This is an animation that we did. And again, this was done a long time ago, but the physics behind it are still apply. This, the quality of animations have gotten a lot better. But notice that the brake release and the airplane is accelerating. And so this was actually, the this is the result of a simulation. The takeoff was simulated, uh, and then the results of the simulation were animated. So gear comes up. And then, lo and behold, the right engine goes to feather, as uh, we all know that it did. The pilot that was in the tower reported that he saw the wings rock. The real problem was the second pilot didn't lower the nose to maintain the proper single-engine airspeed, so he kept going slower and slower. So and then the wings started to rock, and the airplane went into a right roll, hit the ground with the wingtip and ended up where everyone says that it ended up. So that was a, uh, the first animation showed actual airplane performance that was frankly impossible. It violated the laws of physics. Airplanes can't do what it did. It instantly went to about 60 knots and then didn't go any faster during the, uh, during the takeoff. Uh, it was turning without banking. Uh, the airplane changed direction without any force being applied to it. And the, the list really goes on. The, just because it looked good, though, it can be deceiving. And someone who doesn't know really how airplanes behave uh, might be lured into believing that this is what happened. The last animation was a visualization of a simulation, and the simulation based on the laws of physics. So that was the first example. This is a, another one that uh, the, uh, this is a night helicopter flight, uh, one person in the helicopter. The uh, pilot called Tower to tell him that I wanted to take off on a visual flight and uh, do some checking of some instrumentation. The weather was light snow. Um, rather low ceiling, so pretty crummy weather, but uh, not illegal to fly. The helicopter took off and then crashed about a mile off the end of the runway. It was alleged that the tail rotor failed, uh, tail rotor shaft failed, and that resulted in the loss of the control of the helicopter. So this is basically a uh, look at the flight path. The helicopter took off from this area here, and then here are radar returns. And the radar returns end right at that point. This is a skin paint, so it doesn't really count. I'll explain that later if needed. The red dot is where the, the helicopter ended up. So it was up fairly high, 900 to 1,000 feet above the ground, and then went down very rapidly to the crash site. So that's overall what happened. And then here's an animation presented by the, uh, an opposing expert. I'll let you just watch this. I'll make a couple of comments as it's going through. Again, a high-quality animation. 
the white line is the flight path that defined where the helicopter went, and you can see which way it's pointing. The numbers at the bottom are radar returns as they occur. So he's 1,000 feet above sea level, so that puts him a few hundred feet above the ground. And the airplane, uh, the helicopter is shown yawing, uh, in other words, flying kind of sideways. I've never got an explanation of why that was the case. And it gets up to about 1,300 feet or so, and uh, which is just about 1,000 feet above the ground. Then it uh, makes a left turn, which we know the radar data showed. And then you'll notice now the helicopter will start vibrating. And that's the depiction of the tail rotor shaft failing. I'll let you just watch this. Pretty graphic. The, uh, uh, the quality of the animation is very good. To get that kind of detail is uh, an a very laborious process. Now, questions for you. What did you think? Was that a good depiction of a physics-based simulation? Well, at first glance, you can't really say one way or the other. So what we need to do is look at it in more detail. And what I'm going to do is show you the last few seconds, but in slow motion. And then we'll see if uh, it still looks good. So here's the helicopter. This is at one-eighth speed. And it's descending. Now, remember the white line is the flight path of the helicopter. That shows a pitch attitude of the helicopter, which is very positive. In other words, it's, it's descending kind of belly first. Now, at uh, just about here, you'll notice that the flight path is beginning to get shallower. You can see it there very clearly. So the, the direction the helicopter is flying is changing. Now, from a physics perspective, in order for that to happen, there has to be a force that's applied perpendicular to the flight path to get the flight path to change. Uh, Newton said bodies in motion tend to stay in motion unless they're uh, acted upon by an external force. Well, that external force should come from the rotors. Okay, now the rotors are coning down. If a helicopter is producing lift, the cone should be up, which makes perfect sense. It's, it's lifting the helicopter. Okay, but these are showing the, the cone going down. And if it's going down, that means it's producing lift negatively out the bottom of the helicopter, which means that flight path should have gone more steep, not less steep. 
So that's a, an example of how the, uh, uh, a picture is absolutely uh, in contradiction to the laws of physics. Also notice right here, the blade, the one, one of the main rotor blades, actually goes through the cockpit of the helicopter, but doesn't touch the tail. So it's a selective coning, if you want to look at it that way. And now there's the helicopter is being destroyed, and there's lots of light in the background to make it look even more dramatic. And the helicopter still hasn't even hit the ground yet. And there it hits the ground. So it changed direction without any way to produce the force required to change it. Laws of physics. The flight path angle increased, but the rotor coning angle was negative, another violation of the laws of physics. The blades bent downwards for no apparent reason. The helicopter broke up in flight for no apparent reason, and the list goes on. This was a cartoon. There was the only thing real about this was the depiction of the helicopter itself before it started breaking up and the path that it flew. But everything else in terms of the performance of the helicopter was made up. The problem was it looked really good and was very dramatic. So here's another one. This is a uh, single-engine general aviation airplane loss of control. Uh, the airplane was on a charter flight with a pilot and two people. One person was in the, we believe, was in the right front seat and a, uh, another passenger in the back one of the rear seats. After about two hours of flight, the airplane departed level flight and entered a right spiral, just a right turn, descending general right turn. The airplane crashed into a reservoir. So here's an example presented by one of the experts. So this airplane is flying along and then gradually goes into a right turn And it is very gradual, and the story that was being told by this, yeah, I'm moving ahead in time, it, it takes a long time for this to develop, was that everyone in the cockpit, in, in, in the, everyone in the airplane was incapacitated and by carbon monoxide poisoning. That was the, the uh, allegation. Notice that the, the plane makes some abrupt movements. Well, if everyone's incapacitated, that's kind of hard to do. But then we'll uh, move on in time. And here's a later rendition. So it's been over a minute now. It's been descending. And now it's in a really tight spiral. Now, any pilots out there, <laughs> that isn't what can happen. <laughs> now, how did, how did it show up that way? It was... It was an actual simulation, but it was using a uh, product like X-Plane, or I believe it was X-Plane. It might have been Microsoft Flight Simulator. Those are pretty good, but they're not high-fidelity simulations. Question is, did it correctly 
depict hands-off operation. If everyone was incapacitated, then there should be nobody touching the controls. So that was the question that uh, we had to answer. And by, by the way, the, the whole purpose of this analysis was to debunk that animation. What actually happened probably was nothing like what was shown there and that we did not animate. So over-the-counter flight simulators, X-Plane and Microsoft Flight Simulator and a few others, uh, are, they are very definitely physics-based. But the fidelity of the simulation is lacking. The simulators that are FAA approved, uh, that are used by pilots in, uh, for certification purposes, are, have much higher fidelity. A uh, company that I'm working with, in fact, a couple of the, the, the principals are here in the audience, uh, J2, they're out of the Manchester-Liverpool area, uh, they've developed <clears throat> some software that will enable the development of a very high-quality simulation. The, then that simulation can be used to determine what really could have happened. And by fidelity, I mean... The, the nuances down to the, the very minute details so that the simulation behaves just like an airplane. So what we did is we flew that flight path that we saw in that simulation in the J2 software. And like I say, engineers like plots, so you're going to have to live through one. This is the, the, that line, the yellow line and the green line are the, the position of the ailerons. And the ailerons are you know, out on the, the wings and they operate in opposite directions to get the airplane to roll. Now that, if you remember at the end of the simulation, the, that airplane was flying in a really tight spiral. Well, what this showed is that the ailerons had to be deflected. Here's zero. And in order to fly that flight path, the ailerons had to be deflected to prevent the bank from increasing. Uh, any, any pilot out there knows that if you're in a steep turn, you need to have a little bit of, I'll use the term, top aileron to keep the bank from getting too high. It will tend to go to bank uh, more, more than expected. Uh, Over-the-counter flight simulators don't take that into account. They don't have the fidelity to, uh, to show how the lift on the two different wings is different. The, when an airplane is in a tight turn, the outside wing is going faster than the inside wing. So if for no other reason, it's producing more lift. And so the bank will tend to increase. There's a lot of other variables that will enter into that, but in a fundamental sense, that's what happens. So the faster wing produces more lift, so the roll naturally tends to increase. And then to keep the bank angle constant in a steep bank, you have to have top aileron. So what we showed is that what the other experts were presenting was impossible. Even though it was a physics-based simulation that produced it. Now, that was the moral of that story. Now here's a non-aviation accident. This is a truck auto collision, and it is uh, interesting from an aviation perspective because I could be showing aviation uh, e examples of this same phenomenon. 
what happened was uh, the accident occurred on a two-lane highway. The uh, weather was clear, and it was shortly after sunset in what's known as civil twilight. Uh, the truck was carrying an oversized loan, and this was a pretty narrow road. The, uh, both vehicles were going about 45 miles an hour. Also, the driver's vision was, the driver of the automobile, his vision was uh, corrected to 20-50 in one eye, 20-70 in the other eye, and he had cataracts. Um, so uh, that turns out to be an issue. Now, this is an animation presented by the expert from one side. And I know it's very hard to see because that's what was intended. The, did it start? Maybe it didn't. <laughs> so it's so little was happening, I couldn't even tell it was, was happening. Uh, this is a view from behind the auto, which is traveling away from us, and coming toward us will be a truck, and there he appears finally, and wham, there's the accident. Okay, now we're going to see another view of the same animation with the, uh, a view from the driver's seat of the automobile. He's got very poor headlights. So the, the intent of this animation was to show how little the driver of the automobile could see. Well, we developed an animation that was supported by some science. Uh, the went out on the same day of the year at same time and measured the luminance and luminance of the uh, uh, scene. The um, studied peer review literature and developed a, uh, based on the peer review literature, developed a method to display the effects of a uh, cataract. And the list goes on. There was an awful lot of science behind the animation I'm going to show you. Um, what I'm going to show you is two separate animations. One is the, uh, what a driver with 20-20 vision in the actual lighting conditions could see. So the driver of the automobile did survive this, and he said that he was blinded by the yellow, flashing yellow lights. Well, with 20-20 vision, that doesn't appear to be the case. Now, the, the truck was definitely allowed the, the uh, load to get over the center line. There's no question about that. But how much could the driver see? Now, here's the same thing, but with cataracts. And this was a... Uh, was very carefully produced to match what the uh, literature showed as what could be seen. And you can see the cataracts really make that blinding of the yellow light and the headlights, uh, that becomes a real issue. So, the first animation was a cartoon. It, uh, it 
showed something that wasn't physically based and definitely not scientifically based. The second two were based on solid science. The uh, first animation was what a 2020, someone with 2020 vision could see, and the second one was what that driver of the automobile could see in, based on physics and based on scientific study. The first one was not allowed in court. The second one was, uh, second two were, were allowed. But without really critically analyzing uh, the, both animations, doing one correctly and doing one, uh, analyzing the one that was done incorrectly, some very misleading information could be sent to the judge and jury. Uh, so it's very important to do that analysis. Okay, here's a uh, mid-air collision analysis. In this case, there was unlimited visibility, high scattered clouds, uh, the uh, flying a visual pattern, and with tower controlling. And uh, the tower controls the, the runway itself in a visual pattern. And it does not control the uh, oper actions of airplanes outside of the traffic pattern, or even in the traffic pattern, it just gives advisories. So a fixed wing general aviation airplane was approaching the airport from the west, called tower about 10 miles out, then called again about three miles out. There were helicopters, three of them actually, operating in the uh, traffic pattern, and they were also talking to tower but, and on the same frequency. The two collided about a mile west of the runway. Okay, first I'm going to show you a view of the helicopter accident from the helicopter as provided by one of the experts. So here's a general layout. The fixed wing is coming in from this direction, and then the, tra the yellow line was the uh, traffic pattern of the helicopter that was involved. Now, I'm going to pause this. There, the the uh, tower said, all right, I have you in sight, runway three, zero, maintain your altitude until turning base, clear to land. So he's clearly talking to the, uh, the fixed wing, the airplane, that's approaching the traffic pattern. Now, got to watch closely, upper right-hand corner. Did you see that? <laughs> that was the, all that the pilot of the helicopter could see. I'm going to play it again just so you can get another look at it. And once you start seeing the view out of the helicopter, look up in the upper right-hand corner. So here is the airplane was reporting in, said, I have you, got uh, two of them in sight. Tower says, two in sight, uh, go clear to land. Now watch up here. That was it. Now, the, this particular animation was accurate in terms of the flight path, the behavior of the helicopter, the uh, 
everything about it, the location of the collision, all of that was correct. The orientation of the two vehicles at the collision, it was all correct. But what wasn't correct was where was the pilot of the helicopter looking. Better yet, we don't know where he was looking. But where should he have been looking? Everything was accurate in the animation. The flight paths, the collision position. But the view that was shown in the animation was chosen by the expert for the helicopter pilot. So we had a particular, I'll say, axe to grind. But where would, where should a well-trained pilot have been looking? Now we're going to take a look at it, another animation where the uh, view of the pilot is chosen otherwise. Starting at the same point, and notice how the view keeps changing. Look in different directions. Airplane is going to, the helicopter is going to start a left turn now. And then you'll see out here comes the, other, the fixed wing. Now, we don't know what the pilot of the helicopter actually saw. No one knows that. Um, everything in both animations was essentially the same, with the only difference being where the animation camera was pointed. Now, a well-trained pilot, you would think, according to everything I've learned about flying, should be looking around in every direction all the time uh, in visual conditions. Now, how did we get that view of the pilot looking in different directions? Normally, when an animation is done like this, where you're viewing out of a cockpit, the view is chosen by the expert. But in our case, we were able to use our pilot expert, not me, but the pilot expert, to actually act out in the animation. So we used virtual reality. They, what happens is the pilot expert sits in the animation itself and he has on the Oculus goggles that you've seen on TV and maybe some of you have. He can't change anything in the animation. Everything in the animation remains exactly the same. The only thing he's doing is he's looking around the way he would do if he were in the helicopter on a typical flight. But then what we do is we record his head position. And I'll show you that. This is our animator, and he's sitting in the animation, and he's looking around in every direction like a pilot should be doing. Now, oops, let me back up, sorry. Um, what is shown here, these two views, are actually what are in each eyepiece that he's looking at. So he's got a three-dimensional view. Now, showing that to a jury is basically impossible. Every juror would have to have the 3D goggles on, but then would have his own look. Each one would be looking in a different direction, and so it would be unmanageable. 
It's also very uh, computer-intensive because every 30th of a second, the entire scene has to be recreated so that wherever the pilot is looking, he's looking at the proper portion of the scene around him. Um, so what we do is record the, the position and direction that the uh, pilot is looking and then use that to direct the camera. So uh, in this, the, the, the case of what we're doing is the pilot expert is de depicting exactly where he would be looking had he been in that helicopter. Now, I've shown one example of this using virtual reality, but there really are quite a few more, and uh, this list is very partial. But suppose you had a cockpit that, uh, uh, in which there were some uh, warning lights going off. Well, there's always an argument about what could be seen and what couldn't and what should a pilot do once he sees a uh, warning light. Well, using this technology, you could actually animate the lights in the cockpit and the pilot expert would say, oh, there's the master warning light. Okay, what does that mean? Low oil pressure. Check the gauges, and they'll show that. So it has application there in terms of really showing a jury or a judge exactly what a good pilot should be doing in order to detect the, uh, this particular malfunction. Uh, how would a pilot recognize and deal with an engine failure? Sometimes it can be kind of subtle. And so what would the pilot be looking at? Uh, what should a good pilot be looking at? Watch the manifold pressure decrease. Watch the fuel flow fl fluctuate. Uh, any number of little indicators like that. And you could show that using the virtual reality. Um, how to deal with an instrument failure. Sometimes the instrument failures are subtle. Uh, the attitude indicator won't just automatically have a flag go in front of it necessarily. Uh, so it's just is the attitude indicator showing what the other instruments uh, are showing? In other words, is, the, is that accurate? Uh, so that's something else that could be shown. Uh, but a taxi accident is another one. Um, I've been involved with a number of taxi accidents, and showing a view from the cockpit of what a good pilot should be looking at during taxi uh, may reveal something very significant. So the uh, list goes on, and I'm, if, if you've got any thoughts of uh, other applications for this, I'm anxious to hear it. This is brand new technology, and I wanted you to know about it. So, uh, a simulation obeys the laws of physics. That's kind of rule number one, but that's not enough. Um, if, if an animation does not obey the laws of physics. It is literally a cartoon. The Roadrunner does just as good a job as a high-quality animation that doesn't obey the laws of physics. Um, sometimes an animation that does violate the laws of physics looks really good, uh, and that's where some real detailed analysis has to be done in order to show that. Even if there is a visualization of a physics-based uh, animation, it may still be misleading. 
if it is presented in a way that's um, slanted or uh, is avoiding something, some important part of the issue. But a visualization is a very powerful tool, uh, no question about it. And like I said before, it's almost come to the point of being expected. It can help explain what did happen and why, but it can also um, deceive. A cleverly presented animation can really deceive a jury into thinking that something that couldn't happen actually did. And the tools to present these things are changing all the time. They're, develop, they're, they're becoming more and more available, and new ones are showing up every day. So uh, stay tuned. Right, thanks everyone. Um, we now move on to the part of the evening that I know Bob's been looking forward to the most, which is, of course, drinks upstairs. Hopefully the terrace has cooled down a bit. Um, but before we go up there, I'd like you once again, please, to join me in giving Bob a vote of thanks in the usual fashion. From across the globe, from the center of aerospace, and now to you. Thank you for downloading. Visit www.aerosociety.com to download more from this series and other multimedia content from the Royal Aeronautical Society. If you enjoyed this content, please consider showing your support for the Society. Share a link to this presentation by email or on your favorite social networks. If you have an interest in aerospace, consider the professional and personal benefits of membership. Visit www.aerosociety.com. This content is provided subject to our website and digital media terms of use. Please visit www.aerosociety.com for more information.